You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Appreciate you all tuning in as we continue our uh, dive through the Colts offseason uh, plans, I guess, from our perspective. You could say we talked quarterback last week. We're talking wide receiver this week. And I think it's a great week to talk wide receiver because we can juxtapose what the Colts can do, should do, might do with what the two Super Bowl teams did last offseason. And really, they were both went in diametrically opposite ways with what they did at wide receiver last offseason. And they both wound up in the Super Bowl. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the coaching search and update here from from Indianapolis. Uh, let's first start with some non-coaching news across the NFL. We do know now, guys, that the uh, Naheem Hines trade, uh, the conditional pick that the Colts received in response for that or in return for Hines is a fifth round pick, uh, 165th overall. That's according to a Bill sideline reporter. So, uh, chap, there was I think it was between a four and a five or maybe even a four and a five. And a six. I can't remember, but I, I know it could have at least gone up to a four. So uh, that's at least uh, some uh, minor good news. That's not a fourth round pick. It's going to be a fifth round pick. And uh, well, you go into the draft without the fifth round pick this year. Yeah, it, it's it was one probably that'll work out best for both sides. Naheem never really lobbied to leave, but I think he realized that he had reached the end of what he could do here. So they they gave him a chance to go elsewhere, and I I thought he was going to get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I, I guess he could still, but not as a player. No, exactly, and uh, uh, what a special moment he had in Buffalo with his uh, Joe kick return for a touchdown in that uh, first game since the DeMar Hamlin injury, so um, it, that could be, and we'll talk about this at length more when we get into running backs, we get into draft stuff, but but the backup running back position certainly could be something the Colts address in this year's draft. Yeah, I know they'll have Zach Moss as a part of that trade going into next year, and he did some good running towards the end of the season, um, but not really... That guy, that pass-catching specialist. And we saw times this past year where Jonathan Taylor was a bit of a liability in pass pro. I'm sure that'll be something he works on this offseason. I'm sure having a bum ankle throughout the year doesn't help either. But uh, running back is certainly a spot where I'm sure when you get to the middle and end of the draft, the Colts are going to be looking around. The NFL Honor Show is this Thursday night. We're taping on Wednesday, so uh, by the time you uh, listen to this podcast, you might listen afterwards, so we're, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but we'll we'll go through as we uh, name the yearly awards like Most Valuable Player, Defensive Player of the Year, Walter Payton Man of the Year, as well as the 2023 Hall of Fame class, of course, Mike Chappell on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Committee, former Colts Reggie Wayne or Dwight Freeney, could possibly be in this class. So uh, for all our viewers out there, Mike, blink twice if either Wayne or Freeney got in. We had our we had our meeting, uh, gosh, two two weeks ago. And so I, I do know who got in, who didn't. And on Wayne and, and, and Freeney, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll blink twice if they got in. Okay. Uh-huh. Aha, uh-huh. there we go. Well, you you all know out there now what happened. So uh, so congratulations or uh, or best of luck next year, uh, depending on what exactly was just going down. I, 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 I would I would, you know, blow the confidentiality that we have. But I kind of like doing this every year. So I think I'll kind of keep things to myself until we're allowed to uh, share 
Well, not we, when it comes out on Thursday night. Well, when you, whenever you decide to retire, chap, it's going to be a banger of a day. So, uh, that, That's one. It's, it's like when you somebody tells you something really great off the record that you're not supposed to use and all that. You want to go out with a bang. <laughs> you, you really you want to go out with a bang. So it'll be something important. I think I don't know whether you decide to retire and then you find something, or you wait until you get that great story that is going to ruin your reputation because you're going to blow confidentiality. But everybody will read your story, so I've got to figure that one out. Picks for MVP this year in the NFL. Uh, it was really a two horse race for most of the season. Maybe a three horse race with Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. But uh, I, I would be very surprised if it's not Patrick Mahomes winning this award because everyone on every show that I've seen over the past month has kind of pointed his way. I thought the Eagles without Jalen Hurts might even give more uh, more clout to his uh, to his chances, but nope. Uh, people in Philadelphia are certainly very happy to have Jalen Hurts, but uh, it's probably most likely to be Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, when you kind of take take away from his weapons cabinet, especially with elite receiver yeah. like Tyree Kill, and he still puts up those kind of numbers that he did, uh, just doing less with more is pretty unbelievable. So I think it's uh, Patrick Mahomes running away with it. Very obvious. Well, Chap. I, I, I guess the way I look at it is the Colts couldn't beat Jalen Hurts, but they beat Patrick Mahomes. So I mean, Hurts has got to be the MVP. Well, yeah, exactly. That that's what I think. I, if I had a vote in this, I would vote Hurts. I thought he had that special year. He he lifted them. It, it's it's apples and oranges. It's, it's like the ongoing thing now in the NBA: who's the greatest of all time, LeBron or Michael Jordan? Why, why do you have to have one? But in this one, we do, and I'd vote for Hurts, and it would be close. I think the stat, what is the stat? Like if Michael Jordan played as many games as LeBron, he'd have 4,000 more points right now. We're not talking about LeBron and Michael Jordan, though, right now. That, 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 that is a discussion for another podcast and another time. Uh, offensive player of the year. Um, you got some great candidates this year, like Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, but also Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill. And this award has really become uh, more so the, the best non-quarterback uh, over the past couple years to, to, to play in the NFL. Um, like, like we saw Cooper Cup last year, and Jonathan Taylor was certainly one of the candidates, uh, but, but, but players of that caliber uh, in, in here. And Justin Jefferson had a heck of a year as, as Vikings wide receiver. Uh, Tyreek Hill had a heck of a year as Dolphins wide receiver, too. Uh, those two uh, probably the top two uh, candidates up there. And, uh, and we'll get into re receivers in just a bit, but, uh, but both of those guys could, could certainly be a, a, a candidate for, for player of the year. I, I'd, I'd lean toward Jefferson. But but either one of them is perfectly fine with me, chat. Same. Same with Jefferson. And this is one thing that I like that the NFL does. I don't think baseball does. Baseball doesn't have an offensive player of the year, do they? Don't they just have MVP? Yep. See, I, I think you can you can be the offensive player of the year on a crappy team. You can. I, and I'm one of those that don't, doesn't believe you can be an MVP on a team that doesn't make the playoffs or doesn't advance – MVP means you lifted the team around you, but you can have a great, great season. Jonathan Taylor last year would have been a great example. So I'm glad the NFL does this. But, yeah, I think Justin Jefferson, boy, you look at where the Colts are and you think, boy, would you love to have a young game-breaking receiver, which we can dream on that. But I like Justin Jefferson. Joe, uh, defensive player of the year. Uh, it's 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 weird to see the the players you listed here and not have Aaron Donald's name in there. But there are a couple other really great performances this year on defense. 
Uh, Chris Jones, Chiefs defensive tackle, perhaps most among them. Colts fans should be uh, thankful for Chris Jones to give him a win. Maybe they shouldn't be thankful. Maybe they maybe they would have wanted another loss at this point afterward. But uh, but hey, uh, th- thanks to Chris Jones's potty mouth, uh, the Colts got that victory over the Chiefs early this year. But if you take out that play, boy, he was he was just about as good as you can get for Kansas City this season. Yeah, he was terrific and continued his great play down the stretch. But I got to tell you, my guy, my vote would be Nick Bosa. I thought he was just unbelievable off the edge. He also you know, made his presence felt in the playoffs. And he he's just one of those guys where, and Chris Jones is the same way. I mean, all these guys are elite. Michael Parsons as well uh, played really good football, banged up for most of the year. But the way Bosa played was just fantastic. Offensive rookie of the year, Brock Purdy, Kenneth Walker the third, Garrett Wilson, all had very good seasons. Kenneth Walker, man, if he had stayed healthy this year, this would probably be uh, more of a debate, but... Uh, but Brock Purdy going undefeated is Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, I think that's going to be tough, uh, tough to get over him, even though like, I would love to have Garrett Wilson on my on my team for the next uh, four years on a on a first round pick uh, contract. And I would love to have Kenneth Walker, the third on my team, too, from whenever he was picked in the draft. I can't remember, but but he was he, he had a sensational season out in Seattle until. Uh, until injury kind of cut him short. But, uh, Chap, a couple young playmakers. It, it'd be hard to, for me to pick against the quarterback in this one. Well, it's a qu- quarterback with, with a big story, you know, with, with Mr. Irrelevant and all that. So I, I, I think it's probably Purdy. And, I, again, I always wonder during the season how does he really look to be the quarterback of the future for that franchise. That's not what this award is. It's for, it's for what he did when they were down there after their first two quarterbacks. I think Purdy gets this on, on sentimentality, if nothing else. Well, he, he has more of a chance than Jimmy Garoppolo to be the quarterback of the future of that franchise with Kyle Shanahan coming out the other week and being asked, hey, does Jimmy have a chance with you guys in the future? And him basically just being like, uh, no. So uh, so it's, it's Brock Purdy and Trey Lance over there or, or who knows, somebody else in San Francisco. Um, j- just not uh, Josh Johnson again, the, the Indianapolis Colts. Great Josh Johnson and uh, playing on his uh I don't know, 38th team in the NFL uh, throughout his illustrious career there the other week in the uh, championship games. Um, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, Tariq Woolen all had very good seasons. Um, Sauce was, as a rookie, being so close to a lockdown cornerback, I was really impressed with the year that he had, Joe. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I think it's Sauce. I mean, Hutchinson, especially Woolen, one of those cornerbacks who wasn't drafted as high yeah. to come up with as many interceptions as he did was impressive. We we talked about him in the draft last year. Like His size and speed was freakish, but we thought it might take a couple years. Nope, he gets in there in Seattle and does it right away. But I just think the play-in and play-out consistency of Sauce Gardner was uh, special. Comeback, comeback player of the year. There were a lot of good choices this year. Saquon Barkley. Uh, having a tremendous year in uh, in New York, Christian McCaffrey getting traded to the 49ers and really, well, he had a good first half of the year, but even a better second half of the year in San Francisco. And then Geno Smith, uh, they wrote me off. I didn't write back, though, uh, becoming the starter in in Seattle and leading the Seahawks to the playoffs in a year that n- no one ha- had any expectations for them at all. I would love to see Geno Smith get this award, chap. I wouldn't be surprised if Barkley wins it because it's the uh, – that that filthy New York uh, media bias, you know, but uh, but but Gino, uh, I, like I said, I would love to see Gino win this award. Agreed, but I think Barkley does get it. I, I thought as much as people talked about the emergence of, of Daniel Jones, I thought Saquon carried that team a long way. 
So, you know, good for him, and he's going to get a good payday. And then you look at McCaffrey. What he did to the to the 49ers, he was the difference. He, he just was. But I kind of I kind of lean towards Barkley. Well, what is Geno coming back from? Just being bad? Just being bad. That's being the thing. benched. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, I always understood this as like a you come back from an injury or, or something of that nature, not just like you know being a backup for a while and then coming back into the starting role and doing a good job. I, so I got Saquon in this. That's fair. That's fair. I get it. Uh, I'll allow it. Coach of the year. Uh, once again, great candidates left and right. Nick Sirianni of the Eagles, Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers. you got to consider them after making the uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, Doug Peterson of the Jaguars, bringing them from the, the depths of the NFL, except when they play the Colts in Jacksonville, uh, all the way to the playoffs and winning a playoff game, coming back 27-0 in the playoffs. Um, Sean McDermott of the Bills, uh, giving them another season. Brian Dable of the Giants, uh, taking another team with, with no expectations and, and making them – Something spectacular. Dable and Peterson are the two for me just because of the the massive difference, Joe, in expectations preseason to what they were able to do during the season. Either one of them I would be perfectly fine with winning. The other three are all, all good seasons, but you expected something from all three of those teams. The other two, you expected nothing, and they delivered something tremendous week in, week out. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on this top two. My guy's got to be Dable, though. I, I, if I had to rank the talent, I would say Jacksonville has more, and he just did less – he did more with less in uh, New York. What do you think, Chap, between those two or maybe one of the others? I think Dave will, and I think Dave will probably gets it. I, I'd probably go for Peterson because much less was expected of them. You know, we never expected anything from Jacksonville. And I think what we saw, what his influence on that franchise and on Trevor Lawrence was amazing. And that's why, when, as we've talked about, the Colts having to get their quarterback and their coach right this year. Because right now Jacksonville's got a, a leg up on everybody, and I don't think I don't think this year was a fluke. I like what Doug Peterson did there, not only for the franchise but for the quarterback. R- really interesting between those two. I think Dable, like I I agree with you, Joe, that the Giants had less talent than the Jaguars, so Dable did a better X's and O's coaching job to put them in places to succeed. Peterson took over a franchise that was culturally deficient in every way possible and turned them into a winner took a rookie what was a rookie quarterback who had a wasted first season and actually turned him into a well I think Trevor Lawrence always had a had a confident streak but reinforced the confidence within him to take significant steps forward in his second year of the league so what Dayball did on the field with X's and O's Peterson did maybe more work behind the scenes building a culture that is a winnable, a sustainable culture in Jacksonville, which we have not seen really before too much. You might look back a couple of years, well, we haven't seen since the uh, since the Mark Brunell era, you know, I might as well say that, and the Tom Coughlin era. Syracuse University, Tom Coughlin, by the way, just throwing that out there, have to. But uh, but but so so different jobs they did, I guess, to uh, to really amplify their specific characteristics and their traits. And like Chap, like you said, um, like a, a coach has to be both, has to be X's and O's and behind the scenes. But um, for, for, from the Colts' perspective, you'd like somebody who's really good at both. But if you get someone who's exceptional at something uh, and, and can really build from there and then rely maybe on assistance to either uh, coach up or then enforce culture around, around the place, that, that, then you have a coaching staff and a team that can really take steps forward from year to year. Yeah, and I, and I, was, I was totally impressed 
with with the leaps and bounds that Trevor Lawrence showed from, from having a not a very good coach last year with Urban Meyer to what they did this year. And like I say, that's if you're going to be any good as a franchise now and in the future, you've got that quarterback. And I was totally impressed with the way he handled uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I don't want to come out here and saying that uh, Doug Peterson did no X's and O's or that Brian Dable did nothing with that culture because both are certainly yeah. true. Uh, in you know, any given year, I mean, either of these guys could easily win this award. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think there's two great candidates this year. And what Dable did with Daniel Jones is equally impressive to me. A guy who was much, you know, not as highly touted as Trevor Lawrence coming out of the draft and to get what he got out of him with almost no wide receivers to speak of, throwing to guys like Richie James. Um, oh, of course, Richie James. Yeah. Oral Richie James, uh, rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger out there. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty impressive, but... Like I said, both of these guys very deserving. What does Hancock Health's membership in the Mayo Clinic Care Network mean for you? It means our independent health network now has access to the knowledge and resources of the world leader in medicine. It means your Hancock Health doctor can now consult with Mayo Clinic specialists to confirm a diagnosis or treatment plan. And it means that together we're making health possible for you. Learn more about our new clinical collaboration at hancockregional.org front slash Mayo Clinic. Need new windows? Contact your hometown team today. Hometown Window and Doors are Central Indiana's premier, locally owned, full-service Anderson window dealer with master installers. From design to installation, the hometown team handles it all. They carry unlimited options with competitive pricing. Call them direct to get 25% off your windows if you call within the next 60 days. Hometown Windows and Doors gives you all the perks of a national brand with a hometown feel. Visit them at hometownwindowteam.com today. Let's provide a quick update from the Colts head coaching search. Uh, The the reports this week over the past seven days are that there could be a third round uh, of interviews in Indianapolis with uh, a couple of these candidates. Uh, Eight total candidates had a second interview with the Colts. We'll list them. Jeff Saturday, Brian Callahan, Bengals offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, Eagles offensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, Giants defensive coordinator, Rich Bisaccia, Packers special teams coordinator, Aaron Glenn, Lions defensive coordinator, Ishiro Averro, Broncos defensive coordinator. Now, of those eight, Averro has already accepted a job in Carolina to be their defensive coordinator. So Frank Reich stealing him right out from under the Colts' grasp, but not really. If, if, if Averro was one of the people that the Colts were strongly considering, I doubt that he would have taken a job as defensive coordinator in Carolina just yet, would have waited for this to play out. So so we know that Averro is not uh, not going to be uh, Colts head coach, but those seven other guys are, are, are all possibilities. And the word is that Jim Ursay has spent a significant amount of one-on-one time with the second-round candidates. Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated reporting that, saying that the interviews have been creative, long, and chap lasting up to 12 hours with these guys. How on earth? earth do the Colts not know what they want to do after talking to eight different guys for 12 hours each plus talking to them beforehand for four or five hours whatever it was you've been in a room or on zoom with all these guys for 16 to 20 hours and yet still we do not know who the Colts are taking as head coach because Jim Mersey tweets out this week that the decision will come in days, not in hours. What is going on in Indianapolis? Well, I, I, th- I think the uh, 
one thing I when I, when they said there was a possibility of, of a third round of interviews, I mean, what? What, what would? Let's say you're you're brought in for a third round. So now you're going to bring your A game. I mean, now you're really going to put your best foot forward. So I I think that would have been that would have done a disservice to to, to the candidates. I think they know who they want. I, I I'm convinced they know who they want, uh, and that's based on nothing other than trying to connect dots. Days, not hours. Two things play into that. The NFL frowns on head co- other teams making news on Super Bowl week. They don't like that. So, although if I'm the Colts and I want to name Brian Callahan or Raheem Morris, gosh, I'd just do it and get it out of the way. Because it's going to be a big news locally, and, and it'll be a blip nationally, and then it'll go away and people go back to the Super Bowl. But I just think it it points to the fact that you can't hire Steichen until Monday. You you can't until the Super Bowl's over. You can't finalize anything with with Philly's coordinator. I I just I think that's where they're going. I just do. I, I've said all along. We've talked. It needs to be an offensive coordinator because you're going to bring in a quarterback in April, and he had better develop into a franchise quarterback, and that's what I want my coordinator to do. So. We'll see, but I again, I think I think there's an announcement Monday, and and then a press conference Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, with somebody. Uh, but let, let's just get this over so we can move on. A- a- amen to that, uh, Joe. Anything uh, further to add from from everything Chap had to say? I, I agree with him that uh, if. If the NFL is not a big fan of teams making news this week, there's a chance the Colts already know what they want to do and just are kind of putting it off right now. Yeah, it's just them and the Cardinals without a coach. And if both of these owners of these teams are on the same page, you know, because it's their entire brand of the league that they're all bought in on. So I understand that. I'm just can't wait for them to make the announcement so I can hopefully put the rest the fear that Jeff Saturday will be the next <laughs> head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, I still think there's a chance out there, but then again, if that's who they're going to pick, wouldn't they have just done that already like a week or two ago? I, I, I don't know. I'm done trying to make sense of it. Like, like I've said before, uh, if, if they want Jeff Saturday, it's that Jim Ursay wants Jeff Saturday and they're doing all these interviews. And then Chris Ballard would want a third round of interviews just to keep Jim Ursay from picking Jeff Saturday. That's just what it feels like to me, that you're trying to bring in 800 different guys to show Jim Ursay what they are capable of and how they are different than Jeff Saturday. That, that's, that's my general feeling toward this process. If, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, I won't go too much further into detail there, but there are some cold staffing changes it appears the Beach Grove hamster has taken a break. Mike Chappell's Wi-Fi has died. So Joe and I are going to continue this podcast as a duo instead of a trio. Uh, but we'll, we'll continue with Scotty Montgomery. The Colts running backs coach has left Indianapolis to become running backs coach and assistant to the head coach in Detroit for the Lions and head coach Dan Campbell. That according to the NFL Network. Um, he, he had done, Joe, some good work with Jonathan Taylor, obviously. Taylor had a tremendous amount of natural talent, but but to see what he did in two years there, that was uh, impressive. And uh, so so the Colts, uh, so Scotty Montgomery 
uh, is leaving Indianapolis. Whoever comes in as head coach will have a at least one uh, new assistant coach to to sign there. Of course, there will be plenty of those, but officially we'll not be bringing back Scotty Montgomery. Yeah, and, and that was probably going to happen for a majority of the position coaches, especially on whatever side of the ball the head coach uh, controls. Uh, but good for Montgomery getting what I would assume is a – uh, promotion to be assistant to the head coach there in Detroit, a team that's really up and coming and looking to do good things in the future. I mean, they were this close to the playoffs this year. They might be in it next year. Not, not the assistant regional manager, but the assistant to the regional manager that's there, right. Scotty Montgomery in uh, in Detroit with uh, with Dan Campbell and the Lions. Uh, uh, SI is also reporting the Colts have blocked defensive coordinator Gus Bradley from interviews for the same position around the league, and you can do that as a team if a coaches under contract and the reason joe the colts are doing this again the report continues is that a couple of these guys that the colts have interviewed for their head coaching position a couple of the candidates have expressed interest in bringing gus bradley back on as defensive coordinator next year so there are certainly a few of them who who would not but given the fact that um it's you can you could try to read into this and say if the colts are really intrigued by some of these offensive guys, whether it's Callahan or Steichen or even Bisaccia with the Packers um, or Jeff Saturday, that uh, they would have some interest in bringing back Gus Bradley because their offense, their, their focus is on the offensive side of the ball and Bradley's focus is on the defensive side of the ball. And you look at what he did last year, there's certainly some positives and negatives to the Colts' defense last year. I happen to think that they completely lost it down the stretch because they just had they they were they were beat they were tired they they couldn't keep holding up what was one of the worst offenses in the league anymore and that's why we saw things like the fourth quarter collapse in Minnesota and in Dallas and uh, just in general uh the last couple games of the season being less impressive than they were near the beginning of the year but uh, all that to say uh, it's it's not not out of the question that Gus Bradley returns and maybe some defensive staffers around him there as well. Yeah, and I wouldn't be opposed to that. I thought overall Gus Bradley did a good job with that defense. I kind of throw out that last quarter or so of the season just because at a certain point the spirit of your team kind of breaks, especially when you're asked to basically carry the team for so long. Um, you know, the defense could play the best game possible, but if the offense can't score more than 10 points, it doesn't really matter. Uh, or 16 or whatever the, the their average was this year. So I think that's encouraging. I think it might be a sign that a probably more than likely a sign that an offensive guy is coming in. Like take Wink Martindale. He runs very different defense than Gus Bradley does. So it wouldn't make sense for them to bring in Martindale and then also try and keep Bradley if, you know, Martindale was their guy and they're just waiting to announce it. So, um, but of course that's all speculation, but you gotta, you gotta hope if they're blocking Gus Bradley from other jobs that they plan on keeping them. Right. That, that would be a, uh, uh, a, a jerk move. We'll, we'll say to, to keep it PG. If you're going to be blocking Gus Bradley from interviews and then not sign him. Yeah. Uh, at the end that's of the a good day. way to make some enemies. Yeah, exactly. For real. No kidding. And, and to lose respect around the league from, from coaches or, or whatever, for, from anybody. 
Need new windows? Let the hometown team help. Hometown Windows and Doors is Central Indiana's premier locally owned full service Anderson dealer with master installers. From design to installation, we handle it all, carrying nationally known brands like Anderson with more options and competitive pricing. Call us direct and get 25% off your windows if you buy within the next 60 days. Please contact your hometown team today. We are Central Indiana's premier locally owned full service Anderson dealer. National brand, hometown feel. The story of Hancock Health is all about you and everything you need to live your healthiest life. Like Hancock Regional, one of the nation's safest hospitals and an independent health network with over 70 doctors at more than 30 locations around East Central Indiana. We're growing and evolving to help further your story. And we're just getting started. See all the ways Hancock Health and you can work together to make health possible at HancockHealth.org. All right, Joe, let's dive into wide receivers. It's going to be uh, where we focus for the rest of this show here. Uh, we talked quarterbacks last week. Uh, I thought the next, uh, the next best, the next most logical thing would be to go to wide receivers in terms of how we're going to attack this offseason here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. By the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Follow what Mike Chappell has to write because hopefully uh, he'll be able to email us stories and uh, the, the hamster will be back on the wheel by then. Uh, at fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. He's doing so good, too. We hadn't lost him in a while. No, we hadn't. Uh, all of a sudden, boom. Uh, it, it, there is no off-season, Beach Grove Wi-Fi. Like, <laughs> we, 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 we need you to step up here. It might be the off-season for the Colts, but there's no off-season for us. Um, but a- after last off-season, which was the off-season of the wide receiver, and we saw such big money go out to different players uh, from different teams, for different reasons, or teams let uh, guys go for different reasons. Uh, th- th- even though this year's wide receiver free agent class, Joe, is not quite as accomplished as last year's was, given the um, given the hyper focus over the last year, I think on wide receiver just in general in the NFL and ours with the Colts for for several years running now, uh, d- diving into what the Colts have, what the Colts can get. And what the Colts' plan might be moving forward is probably the next best thing we could take after talking about quarterback. Yeah, and you know, you kind of mentioned the Super Bowl at the top of the show and how these teams built their units and put together their wide receiver cores. And it's pretty apparent to me, even going back to before this past year with uh, the Chiefs visiting the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was still on a rookie contract, they could pay guys uh, the, their, their big money Tyreek Hill, that big money, and then when you get Patrick Mahomes, an elite-level quarterback, you kind of got to make decisions elsewhere. And they still make the Super Bowl because he's that good of a quarterback that he can kind of carry a team. Uh, You look at the Bengals last year, who have elite options at wide receiver and a quarterback on a rookie contract. You look at the Eagles this year, spending the money and and the draft capital to get an A.J. Brown, paying him, what, $25 million a year, I'm pretty sure, spending uh, the year before draft capital on Devontae Smith in the first round. Um, a second-round pick went to Dallas Goddard, one of the better tight ends in the league. The so, year before that, they drafted Jalen Rager in the first round, right before Justin Jefferson. Exactly. Yee. So, you know, the, 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 the thought was there, the yes. execution, not as much. Not but, that year. Not that year, but... The, the, the plan is clear. The blueprint is clear. Get a young quarterback and surround him with as, as much talent as possible because that's what he's going to need to succeed. If he doesn't really catch on within those first 
two, three, four years, you kind of got to move on. And and sometimes I feel like these quarterbacks had the talent and they just didn't have what it took around them to reach that level. First of all, there's a tremendous article right now online at The Ringer um, that kind of details everything that we're talking about here and some things that I really wanted to get into um, between the Eagles and the Chiefs approach to wide receiver this past offseason and why they're different. I highly encourage you to go online and read it just because the Colts at wide receiver uh, has been a topic of uh, much consternation over recent years and what they should do, what they are doing, how it has worked, how it has not worked. Um, but but between the Chiefs and the Eagles, like what, what the Chiefs have did, like, like you said, like they have Mahomes and they, A, they don't need a, a Tyreek Hill as much because you have Mahomes. Like for the Eagles, they had a young quarterback that was coming up and needed some help. Like they they just could not attack the middle of the field last year. Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard are really good on the edges. They had no one to attack the middle. So teams could really defend them more heavily outside the numbers. And that helped them also whenever Jalen Hurts was trying to run the ball. Like it, it was a severe, it was a obvious glaring weakness in their offense. What do they do? They go out and get A.J. Brown, who's one of the better open field, middle field receivers in the league. Boom, fix it up. One of the better receivers, period, in the league. Boom. That, that, that's it right there. The Chiefs in the early years under Mahomes, they were chucking it deep all the time. And teams recently, over the past two years, have really tried to prevent that from happening. And the Chiefs have had to change as an offense because of it. And so what Tyreek Hill does best, go deep, he can't do as much anymore. He's still a great receiver. Don't get me wrong. But you don't want to pay him for past production when you think his future production isn't going to be exactly the same. So the Chiefs had, A, Patrick Mahomes, and B, a different offense that Tyreek Hill wasn't as elite at, not as elite, and so they could afford to go a different way at wide, wide receiver. And I think we're going to see something similar with, with the Bengals. Like the Bengals, the first year with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're chucking it deep left and right. This year, Jamar Chase was different. He was not what he was two years ago in uh, Joe Burrow's uh, second year, I guess, in Jamar Chase's rookie year. If teams continue to really put the lid on that Bengals offense, that offense is going to have to adapt, improvise, overcome what defenses are tr trying to do against it. And maybe Jamar Chase is not going to be as valuable to that team in years moving forward. But I do think the, the, the Bengals, it's a different thing with, with T. Higgins and, uh, and, and, and Boyd right now. Tyler Boyd, we'll get into them a little bit as free agents this year. But, but it, it was just a really interesting article to me. After everything that happened last year with receivers, whether it was Christian Kirk, uh, Amani Toomer, Marquise Brown, uh, A.J. Brown being traded, uh, th this year it, it's going to be far different. But it was, it was a tremendous article that, that outlined why these two teams did things differently different for me it really came down to Patrick Mahomes is why the Chiefs were successful Joe without Tyreek Hill is that he can still be the best quarterback in the NFL and not have Tyreek Hill on his team the Eagles Jalen Hurts could not be the best quarterback in the uh, in the NFC we'll say without A.J. Brown on his team it just wasn't possible he's not there yet in his development as a quarterback as a passer uh, as a leader of the offense so both teams did exactly what they needed for the quarterback that they have, and that is why they are in the Super Bowl right now. So the Colts are going to need to do the best for the offense and the quarterback that they have next year. And to me, that means getting as many weapons as possible for a guy that you assume is going to be a rookie, try to develop him along with some of these young weapons. You have the ammo, you have the cap space, you have whatever it is to have guys 
that you think can fit in your offense. You can spend money at wide receiver now because you're not going to spend money on a quarterback really for the next four or five years, assuming you draft a guy here in the first round. So, so all, all that to say, that's kind of the path that I see the Colts going on over the next couple of years is drafting a quarterback and they'll have some money to spend on wide receiver and hopefully bring in some weapons to give the quarterback no excuses in terms of his development with those receivers. Yeah. And that's, that's clearly the plan that's gotten teams to the Super Bowl in recent years. And, that brings us to Michael Pittman Jr. because they're going to need to pay him to keep him. You know, you, you get talk about bringing in other weapons to make this uh, passing attack even more dangerous, and I, I do think that is necessary as well. But you don't want to take a piece away at the same time. And Michael Pittman Jr., while he hasn't been an elite wide receiver, he's been a very good wide receiver. No doubt. And over just last year, he had 99 catches. We were saying in the preseason, I remember talking, just how much we saw Matt Ryan go to Pittman in a training camp that that his floor was basically 100 catches and he was just right there at 99 this year and he, he was able to get up to that even with how abysmal the Colts passing offense was and we saw we saw a shell of Michael Pittman Jr. honestly Joe this last year we've said it here in this room I've said it outside of this room that no one was could be more upset that Carson Wentz was gone than Michael Pittman Jr. because what what the Colts had on offense this year was was anemic it was unable to go downfield and we just did not see that aspect of Pittman Jr.'s game. It was, even though he had 99 catches, it was not a great time to go into what is a pseudo contract year, even though he has one more year left on his deal. This is the year that you want to get a deal done with these guys. Uh, he had 88 catches for more than 1,000 yards the year before, basically three more yards per catch and six touchdowns as opposed to four touchdowns this year. So, so the, the job right now is to extend Pittman and to see what is comparable around the league for a deal with him. And they're, they're just not cheap contracts anymore. There's 12 receivers right now whose cap hit was uh, was $20 million or more this past year. And if you're going to sign a guy like a Pittman that has certainly explosive potential, you kind of combine the last two seasons, what you've seen with him and his development, you know that it's not going to be cheap to resign, but it's one that the Colts are probably going to do in the long term. Yeah, and, and he's still just 25. This isn't a guy at the end of the, his career. He could get even better. He's only played three years in the league. He's shown you a lot. He showed that he can be that possession guy for you this year. He showed that last year he's a guy capable of going down the field and making big plays for you, coming down with a lot of jump balls, and really underrated run-after-the-catch ability as well. Uh, looking through last year's contracts, I saw one that really stood out to me. Um, Mike Williams re-signed with the LA Chargers on a three-year $60 million deal, $40 million guaranteed, so right at $20 million a year. The cap went up this year, so maybe for Pittman Jr., it's $22 million a year, $23 or whatever it might be, just because there's that extra cap space. Um, you know his agent's going to be bringing that up. But <laughs> I think these are two guys with kind of uh, similar talent levels, one might say, between Pittman Jr. and Mike Williams, those guys where you go, he's a really good wide receiver. There's always going to be the questions, is he a true Number one, uh, that's going to be a big question for the Chargers who might have to cut Keenan Allen and, you know, they're kind of in salary cap hell right now. But I think, especially for the Colts, if you're not sold on Michael Pittman Jr. being that long-term, long-term guy that you want to commit to 100%, rather than the five, six-year deal, just give him the three million, twenty million a year, make him happy, um, and get somebody that your quarterback your young quarterback can grow with for at least the next three years. Yeah, but I, I really like that because he he is not like I I, I really I, I don't love the the discussion about is he a true number one with anybody and 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 the the level of elite receiver play in the NFL is like comparing Michael Pittman Jr. to 
a Tyree Kill or a Devontae Adams. He's not there. And anyone who tries to say he's there is just wrong. Like, there, there's the elite of the elite up there. Guys like a, a, a Hopkins, like a, um, like a Hill, like Stephon a... Stephon Diggs. Exactly, like Diggs, a perfect example. And, and, and like, he's, he's just not there. Might he get there? Maybe. Uh, am I betting on him getting there? No, not right now, because he hasn't shown me enough in his first three years uh, to, to really, to show that, to, to make me bet, quote-unquote, that he will get there. He showed me a lot of good things. I think he can be a solid wide receiver. I would love. I love to have him on the team, um, on my team. I would love to have him because he's uh, like he's steady. You know what he's he can do. I thought that this last year he needs to work on his hands a little bit. There were too many times that he he was some drops, some costly yeah. drops, and he had the game two years ago. The Tampa Bay game was it was like his worst game that I've ever seen him play in his career. That the Colts should have won that game. He had a couple really bad plays, got outjumped by Antoine Winfield for, for an interception that was on a deep ball. Uh, Winfield's like 5'10", and he's like 6'3", and Frank Reich was always singing his praises about he, he like never lost a, uh, a one-on-one ball deep. It, it was just an, like, I, you've seen the worst of Michael Pittman. That, that is it. But that is not who he is consistently. So he needs to be a better consistent uh, a more consistent receiver. It'll help to have a more consistent quarterback play around him. Let's not Absolutely. be, yeah, let's not, let's not put that past him. And maybe the first couple years, honestly, of a new deal with a rookie quarterback, it's going to be hard for him to have consistent quarterback play. So over these next two years, maybe we still don't see the best of Michael Pittman Jr. Maybe it takes until year three or year four with a rookie quarterback uh, coming in until we see him really take a significant step forward. So I, I, you, you can't you can't pay him as the elite of the elite this year. You don't try to think he's the elite of the elite this year, but you can't just sign Michael Pittman Jr., Joe, is what I'm saying, and say our receiver uh, problems are fixed. We, we've got our number one, we've got our guy, and then we can just fill in whoever around there. It's Michael Pittman Jr. and if you really want to have a dynamic and explosive and dangerous receiver group and one that will help a rookie uh, quarterback come along. And that even goes for the teams with the best receivers. I mean, I remember the Bills GM talking about not having enough to go next to Diggs and how they weren't bad enough to get a Jamar Chase in that press conference. Or what he say? We didn't suck enough to get a Jamar Chase or something like that. Uh, you just need multiple threats on your offense and Michael Pittman Jr. It, it needs to be just one of them they need to keep adding to this core hopefully Pierce who we'll talk about in a second can kind of take that next step and be a guy who defensive need to worry about more in a second year but anyone who says that Michael Pittman Jr. is not worth $20 million a year, has not been paying attention to the wide receiver market. You're correct about that. He absolutely is. I fully expect the Colts to get a deal done with him. I I would like a three-year deal, kind of like you said. I doubt that they go five or six with him. Maybe they do, but uh, but three years is perhaps more likely right now. Excuse me. Uh, Paris Campbell will turn 26 years old in July, and he played in all 17 games. That was Paris's primary goal, I think, for this past season. Played in every game stayed healthy, and was on the field. 63 catches for 623 yards and two touchdowns. Had only five carries for 58 yards. Um, and I think that the sentiment, Joe, you put you pointed this out before we started the podcast, on Paris is, is very much split, whether Colts fans want to bring him back or let him walk. And like, at, if you talk about Paris the guy, I love the dude. He was, if not for Zaire Franklin, he would have been our, uh, our choice, the media's choice for 
um, like our good guy award that we get to that is honest with us in the locker room, that is open with us, that will talk at, at any time. So I, I'm glad that he's in the locker room because I can ask him a question and he will give me a direct and honest answer. And he has for years, like with his injuries, he's always been open about what's been wrong with him and how frustrated he's been and how much he's been really wanting to get back on the field. So that's why I was happy for him that he was able to play every game this year, seeing a guy overcome. Uh, all those injuries that he had, but but you can't call him right now what he was coming out of college at Ohio State. He doesn't have the same explosiveness, the same quickness, or at least he hasn't showed it right now over the past year. Like 63 catches for 623 yards, that's, again, less than 10 yards per catch. Not that, saying that uh, that he was helped out all that much by a quarterback play in Indianapolis this year, but once again, it, it, that's, you, you don't want to pay big money uh, for a guy who has injury history and then has not quite shown the uh, the dynamic play cu- coming out of it yet. So that the Colts are at a, at a strange place, I think, with, with Paris Campbell. And it depends on what else goes on in terms of uh, free agency and who's available, who's available via trade perhaps, whether they decide to bring Paris Campbell back this year. Yeah, it, it, starting with the injuries, you got to wonder, because this is one year he has been healthy, is this an outlier or is this new normal for Paris um, you have to wonder that first and foremost. Hopefully it's the new normal, but you just don't know. Second of all is, is the money that you sink into him. You're right. He did not look like that elite speed demon that he was coming out of college. Uh, just the eye test watching him. He didn't look slow out there by any means, but no. he didn't look like somebody who could take it to the house every time he touched the football, no. which is what he looked like his rookie year. Uh, I remember that game against the Steelers. I mean, he almost ran out of his shoes he was so fast i think he tripped and then dropped the ball yeah 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 unfortunately uh, he did a lot better at that this year his hands Much looked better. good yes um but you just if he showed that ability i would say yes resign him because this can be an elite weapon that the colts thought he could be coming out of college um I, i'm just not seeing that I, i'm not like dead set against bringing him back if the money's right but there's a few contracts from last year that i thought uh, might be on the table for Paris Campbell, either here or elsewhere. At the high end of that range, I looked at Russell Gage. All these guys on this list are about 26, about the same age, but he was coming off back-to-back 700-yard seasons in Atlanta. He got a three-year, 30 mil, 20 million, 20 million guaranteed with Tampa Bay. If that's if Paris gets that deal in the offseason, good for him. But it it's ain't going to be here. Be, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be with the Colts. In the mid-tier of that, I saw Cedric Wilson who had his quote-unquote breakout season with the Cowboys in 2021, 600 yards, six touchdowns. He got a three-year, $22 million million deal with Miami for about $13 million guaranteed. I think that's somewhat reasonable for Paris Campbell. And then there was a couple prove-it deals out there, which Paris might be interested in if if he wants to bet on himself staying healthy again and kind of squash some of those rumors. If he wants to bet on him getting some of that explosiveness back in his second full year without injury. Um, DJ Chark was one of them at the high end of the prove-it deals. He got a full $10 million fully guaranteed uh, on a one-year deal with Detroit. Not not dissimilar from what the Colts gave Devin Funches a couple years ago. And then at the low end, Juju Smith-Schuster, who's playing in the Super Bowl, um, You know he had that great year with Pittsburgh in 2018, 1,400 yards, not as much the last couple of years, but w- was injured in 2021 before free agency, played just five games. He got a one-year $3.7 million deal, just 2.5 guaranteed. 
but it had an additional $8.5 million in incentive bonuses, many of which he hit. He had uh, over 70 catches, 900 yards with them. Um, they're, they're playing in the Super Bowl. I, I was looking up the incentives. He played 45% of the snaps in the championship game. If he had played 50%, he would have made an extra million. Ooh. But he got hurt, so that ah. that's unfortunate for him. But, um, you know, I think a deal like Juju Smith-Schuster's makes a ton of sense for Paris Campbell. Be like, we believe in you. Um, you're going to have to show it to us again and maybe put a lot of incentives in there for him to really prove his ability. But if I was the Colts, that would be the one I lean towards. Yeah, if you're going to sign him for a couple of years, it's not going to be for $20 million. It's not. It might be for around 10, like three years, 30, three years, 25 uh in that range but if you if you're right if if he's more attuned to a one-year deal then something along the lines of what schuster had makes a lot of sense for him so um so that's i I, i'm not offering a lot of (laughs) uh a lot of direction with this because i honestly don't know what what the Colts are going to do i don't know what direction they want to go with with paris so we'll see this could very well be one of those guys who they go all right Test the market. If you can get yep. something better, go for it. If yep. not, come back. We'll take you back. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised with that. Alec Pierce is uh, under contract for three more years. Uh, you, uh, you hope that he takes the next step in his development uh, next year. Ashton Doolin will be a free agent. Uh, Dave's breakout player of the year for the Colts had 15 catches for 207 yards. Both of them career highs, so I wasn't wrong, but I was wrong. It was a breakout for him. Yeah, exactly. It's a breakout for him. Uh, he's still split really between offense and special teams. Uh, his uh, his snaps there as an all pro special teams player in 2021. Um, I think th- this comes down to whether the Colts want to like keep him for special teams purposes or not. Uh, because if you're if you're just keeping him for a wide receiver after this last year, it's like eh, whatever. But if you want to keep some more veteran special teams guys on your roster, then then maybe you sign him for one year again right here. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind, especially if they don't bring back Par- Paris, bring him back on a maybe. One or two year deal. He, he got two and a half million last year. Maybe make it three and a half this year. Something really affordable because he's. I think he's a solid number four guy um, and good on special teams. So he, he's not going to cost you too much to bring him back. And you do want to keep you know just going into next year with Pittman, Pierce, and Mike Strawn isn't a great strategy. So you're probably going to spend more on bringing an exterior player in than you would retaining Doolin. Speaking of Strawn, uh, he is also under contract for two more years, had five catches in his career. Uh, he's 26 in August. Haven't seen much of Strawn yet, but he still remains a, uh, a tantalizing prospect. Uh, we'll see if he actually can, can make the field next year. Uh, free agent wide receivers. Nowhere near Joe what we saw last year when there were guys like uh, Tyreek Hill that uh, changed locations. Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, and DK Metcalf all got huge ex- extensions themselves. Devontae Adams, Marquise Brown, Amari Cooper, like I said. like th- th- This was a huge offseason this past offseason. Well, even most of those guys were trades. They were. A lot of them were. So so maybe some of these guys, maybe some more, well, excuse me, maybe some other guys are, are available via the trade market. When I think that's exactly what's happened here. Teams that don't want to pay their wide receivers rather than just losing them in free agency, they trade them a year early to get something back for them because they're so valuable. It reminds me of NBA free agency a little bit in this because you get to a point with a guy and you, you're not going to re-sign him. Like the Pacers seem to be with Miles Turner, but then they re-sign him for a couple extra years. Like you, you get to a point with a guy that if you can't re-sign him, if you can't agree to a deal, 
you're right. Like, get something in return for him. And like with with the Titans, a perfect example, letting A.J. Brown go to the Eagles for a first and a third round pick, I believe, because they weren't going to sign him to a four-year, $100 million deal. They should have. Well, the GM got fired this year because (laughs) it was hilarious. He got fired the year, like the, the, the day after A.J. Brown torched him for however much it was and just embarrassed him. It was... It was funny, but not funny for him. It was it was just very obvious what was happening, that uh, the that that he was fired for basically letting one of the best receivers in the NFL go, and, and that's a mistake you cannot make in the NFL uh, today. When, Unless you have Patrick Mahomes, exactly. And, and and the Titans don't have Patrick Mahomes, and the Colts don't have Patrick Mahomes. And like like if you have a stud wide receiver, you you can't just let him go. Marquise Brown's another one, I guess. You have Lamar Jackson still, but uh, but he didn't want to see him go. And Lamar Jackson is still not Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he, he's no. he's a he's an MVP. He's an incredible player. I'm still not putting him on the level of Patrick Mahomes. So, <sighs> yikes! Uh, free agent wide receivers this year: uh, Jacoby Myers. If we're leading off with Jacoby Myers, for the love, Joe, it this is as good you. as we got. Uh, has back to back 800 yard seasons with the Patriots. He's 26 years old. Um, for the record, I think Jacoby Myers would be an upgrade over Paris Campbell. You put him in the slot, I think he could work really well with Pittman and Pierce on the outside, Jacoby working the slot. But, yeah, it, it just comes down to who's going to be willing to pay this guy, and I think someone's going to be willing to pay him more than the Colts are. Yep. Juju Smith-Schuster, who you mentioned already, had 78 catches, 933 yards this year. Like you said, an incentive-laden deal proved that he can still deliver. Um, and these are stats, once again, with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. So I don't expect him to get 80 catches for 900 yards elsewhere, but he still proved that he could be a seven or 800 yard, probably catch with a average to good quarterback, 700 yards catching, receiving. What am I saying? Uh, around the league. So he, he'll get probably a couple years after a deal, after a year like this. That's what I think. I think so too. I, I don't think he fits with the Colts. Cause I think they need speed. You know, they kind of have the towers on the outside. You need a speed guy like me. Cole Hartman. Exactly. Yeah. From Kansas city as well. He'll turn 25 in March in his four year career. He has 151 catches for more than 2000 yards, 16 touchdowns. Certainly a big play threat. Hartman is, um, would, would, would certainly fit that bill. A guy that can Joe take the top off the defense. Yeah. And he at, at once upon a time was a similar sort of player than what the Colts thought they were getting with Paris Campbell, the guy who anytime he touches it could go all the way. Uh, I still see that speed with McCall Hardman. He has been a bit of a draft bus, second round pick who just never really developed into anything more than a speed guy. Uh, but if for, if the price is right, I would not mind seeing them bring Hardman in because they do need more speed in that receiving core. Alan Lazard, DJ Chark, Darius Slayton, Marvin Jones, Jarvis Landry, all uh, free agent wide receivers that are or going to be pending free agent wide receivers. If you want to bring in somebody who, who's a veteran, I wouldn't be opposed to that, like in the vein of a Marvin Jones, because this Colts receiver room is still young, Joe. Like we talked about it last year, that uh, how how young the, the this group was. And like we, we say that like, having such poor quarterback play did not really help them achieve what they could, but their youth I'm sure did not help the quarterback achieve what he could in certain scenarios too. It's, it's a catch 22 and they're both kind of at odds with each other. You, you, you need, you need veteran presence and you can say all oh, the Colts had something in Reggie Wayne. He's like a, but, but you, you, you have a coach always. You need, you need a veteran receiver in, in the room to, to kind of, be be old reliable when Michael Pittman can't catch one game like throw it to somebody else you got to have somebody else who's dangerous and nobody has developed that yet because the Colts pass catchers are so young 
like if you if you want to go out and get a guy like a Marvin Jones, is what I'm saying, I wouldn't be completely opposed to that. I I've, I've really liked Marvin Jones' game for a long time. He certainly seemed to help Trevor Lawrence last year uh, in, in Jacksonville. But uh, but out of those guys, like that that like I said earlier, these are these are not dynamic names who are uh, free agents because teams are will try to lock up their receivers now. We're getting to the point where it's it's like uh, other most important positions, like a pass rusher in the NFL. You rarely see those guys hit free agency because teams always lock them up or potentially trade them. So finding a dynamic wide receiver in free agency is maybe not going to be easy or harder in the coming years than it even has been over the past five years or so. Not to mention it. I don't know what Chris Ballard has done that would show you that this will be the year he's going to spend money on a wide receiver. I mean, any of these guys is probably going to get a contract bigger than what they're actually worth because that's just kind of how it goes. You overpay, and then in a couple of years, maybe that contract is in line with market or becomes a bargain. Um, the, the only guy that gets me somewhat excited on the list might be a Jacoby Myers, but I really think he's going to get around $10 million a year from somebody. Wide receivers who could be available via trade. Like you said, a lot of those guys that I mentioned, Joe, were, were trade bait, both teams who did not want to pay uh, these guys. But Mike Evans would be certainly a veteran uh, on the list, very much in the same vein as Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, big guys. Yeah, so, kind of this, a bit redundant in yes, his style of wide receiver. But. It could be. Uh, Jerry Judy for Denver. I think he'd fit really well. Joe loves him some Jerry Judy. Put him in the slot. He's got the speed. I, he's another guy who can drop a few from time to time, but when he does it, he's dangerous with it the only thing is are the Colts going to want to if you trade for Judy he's going to demand about 20 million a year too so are they going to want to pay him and Pittman 20 million a year at the same time while both are pretty good but not really elite I I, I don't know about that but I think just looking at how they would fit in the offense Jerry Judy would be great Cincinnati has some real decisions to make starting uh right now because they're going to have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, uh, their number two and number three receivers, uh, up for possibility to have a contract extension this year. And then Joe Burrow's coming, and then Jamar Chase is coming. So this is the year maybe you start to see the first steps of that plan as to what you're going to do on offense, whether they re-sign guys like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd right now, whether they wait till the end of their contracts to see what happens. I, I Very intriguing uh, between these two. And, of course, if the Colts... Uh, get a head coach in Brian Callahan, who is the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati, uh, he would have at least more insight about the uh, the specific capabilities of these guys and the value of those guys in terms of what they could do with the offense he'd be bringing here. But that's that's taking about eight steps forward when we're still at the starting line with, with this process right now. But still, got to mention those two as well, guys that could be potentially entering the last year of a contract that a team might look to trade and get some value from them. Yeah, and Higgins is going to break the bank. I mean, he might demand more than Pittman. He really might, but oh, he's had a better couple year, first couple years than Pittman. I mean, a little bit better. They were taken what thirty three, thirty four in the draft. Yeah, right so, next to each other, yep. and he has had slightly better career than Pittman has so far. He's also had a much better quarterback throwing him the football. Not wrong. Um, so I, I think Tyler Boyd is kind of interesting. He would be that veteran presence. He could slide into the slot. No, he's not going to scare you with speed, but especially if they bring in Callahan, he's someone who knows the offense, could help the other wide receivers learn it, and be that veteran guy who's just reliable in the slot for whatever quarterback comes in. The Colts have been pretty consistent recently in drafting a wide receiver. They've taken one in the second round in three of the last four drafts, Joe, whether it was Paris Campbell, then Michael Pittman, and then Alec Pierce. So Chris Ballard has given some 
valuable draft capital toward that. And we all know how much he values second round picks, even more so, it seems, than first round picks, Chris Bauer, during his couple years with the Colts. Um, so so you see that and you, you recognize that he recognizes the importance of getting something set in that position. But other wide receivers drafted by him just haven't panned out. Mike Strawn, Des Patman, Jerese Fountain, Deion Kane. You haven't hit on any of those guys. It was uh, it was harsh to see Jerese Fountain uh, go down in the last preseason game when he had a stellar preseason with his knee injury. Uh, Deion Kane showed some flashes, but again, no consistency. Um, so so between all of those guys that uh, Ballard has taken in early in in drafts or late in drafts, I I. I would not be surprised if he spent some more draft capital this year. I can't tell you whether it's going to be high or low just yet, but some draft capital on a wide receiver. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how much capital they have left. You know, if they have to trade up to number one or decide that that's what they have to do, they probably won't have that second round pick anymore. Um, but if they, if they do, if they stay at four and just take whoever's there or, you know, believe that their guy will make it there. I think pairing him with another wide receiver is a great plan uh, 35th overall, quit trading back. You look at the three, and the jury's still out on Pierce. He could end up being very good. Um, but both Campbell and Pierce were taken in the 50s. Pittman was taken in the 30s, and he has been you know, head and shoulders the best wide receiver Chris Ballard has drafted so far. Newsflash, the best players get taken high in the draft. So <laughs> trading what? back does not always Joe. pay off if you want those elite high-end guys who really make a difference in the game. Uh, the Colts have drafted in first-round receivers three times since the turn of the century. Famously, Philip Dorsett, 29th overall in 2015, as Joe shakes his head. Anthony Gonzalez, the last pick in the first round in 2007, who was good when he was healthy, but wasn't healthy all the time. And then Reggie Wayne, uh, 30th overall in 2001, when the Colts had 87 other needs, but took the best player available. It turned out to be pretty good uh, for them with, with Reg. And uh, this year, they will not take a wide receiver in the first round unless they trade up. And there's, there's no way Chris Ballard trades down from fourth. I'm, I'm not going to speak that into existence, not even as a joke. Uh, but fourth <laughs> overall right now in the first round, 35th overall there in the second round. They're 79th in the third round. That's the pick from Washington in the uh, Carson Wentz trade. Then they have one fourth-round pick, two fifth-round picks. One of them is from Buffalo in that Naheem Hines deal. One in the sixth, two in the seventh right now. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks right now. We know how much Chris Ballard loves them picks. But, Joe, I think you hit the nail on the head. How many of those would have to go in a deal to move up? I don't think you're going to mess too much with fifth, sixth, seventh-round picks in deals to move up to number one. But first through third, maybe, and then next year as well with firsts, seconds, uh, players that you currently have on your roster who are pro ball, all-star, all-pro all caliber level. Um, so there's going to be, I think, a bevy of picks for the Colts still in rounds four through seven when they get down there. Just the question is how many of those up top, first through third, uh, will they have? And then will they use any of them on receivers? Because like you said, that's when the more dynamic receivers go near the top of the draft. So are you going to spend some capital there uh, to try to fix or try to continue to improve uh, a room that could use some improvement. And uh, we'll, we'll probably see a good idea of what the Colts plans are in terms of high, low capital in the draft after we get through free agency. And we see if the Colts are interested in signing anyone like a Jacoby Myers, like a Marvin Jones or a Jarvis Landry, guys like that. If that happens, then maybe the Colts don't draft a receiver as high. If it doesn't happen, 
then I would not be surprised to see the Colts spend a second or third round pick there on another receiver in that room. Yeah, and the other holes they fill might clue us in as well. You know, if they, which I really think they should do, go sign a veteran right guard who can be sturdy for you, then you don't have to look at that position as deeply in the second and third round. Same with, you know, cornerback, uh, the defensive end, basically anywhere you want to look. Um, you can kind of clue in on what teams are going to do by seeing what positions they addressed aggressively in free agency. Um, we'll see. I mean, Chris Ballard is never all that aggressive in free agency. He has his own strategy. But there there's several holes on this team. I understand that just pounding wide receiver might be curious to some, but th- I think it's easier to plug in a veteran guard than it is to you know break the bank for a wide receiver when there are a lot of wide receivers every year who enter the draft, come in right away, and can produce for you. Just look at how important great weapons are by looking at the teams that have played for the AFC and NFC championships, Joe. You got the Chiefs, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes is in a world of himself. And he has Kelsey, who's exactly, elite. I was I mean, say. He could be Hall the best tight end exactly, yeah. of, of his era. With the uh, Bengals, you have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. For the Eagles, you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. For the 49ers, you have Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. Ayuk. Ayuk as well. Like he, he, gets, he gets shoved to the background, Brandon yeah. Ayuk. First and round he's pick still, wide receiver. He's a pretty like, darn good player. Yeah. So like, it, it, it's crucial to have elite pass-catching weapons. And I even include Christian McCaffrey in that. He's a great runner of the football, no doubt. But he is also an elite pass-catcher. Um, and, and, and that's what the NFL is right now. It's attacking down the field. It's, um, the run game is not what it's focused on, on offense, like it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It's just not like that. You need weapons to get the ball deep down the field to make plays in space and to, to, to win games that way. You got to have enough so that when the defense game plans to take something away, you have enough other options that you go, okay, we'll just go here. You look at the Eagles. A.J. Brown, in their two playoff games, didn't even get 30 receiving yards. They were perfectly fine because they have Devontae Smith and a great running game and Dallas Goddard to lean on. you got to be get, be able to say, oh, you're taking this away? That's fine with us. We'll go right here. Yep. And the Colts haven't had that in, in recent years. It's, they've been a one-trick it's pony. Taylor or nothing, or basically. Or really, last year they were a zero-trick pony, yes. to, be, to be fair on offense. And I'm, I'm not saying that to try to exhibit a laugh out of, out of anybody I, i'm saying that dead seriously that was it was a terrible offense it was it was bad and needs improvement and now's the time where you start to do that or you start to lay the groundwork to starting to do that and uh, whoever the head coach is going to be is going to obviously play a big role uh in that and talking with chris ballard about what he wants chris ballard will play a, a big role in deciding uh, how much he's willing to spend in free agency and maybe jim ursay plays a big role uh if he uh continues to expand his reach into the organization like he did several times this past year to be determined on all those fronts. Uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting offseason ahead. And our discussions on uh, different positions will will continue next week here um, on, on this podcast. Are we going to go defensive end maybe next, another uh, dynamic position? Um, there's a bunch of them that we're, we can get to. But, hey, if Gus yeah, Bradley's coming DM back, next, then, then my guy Unique could come back as well. Is Unique coming back? Have Quiddy Payne, uh, uh, Dio and, uh, Dengbo mm-hmm. shown enough? Do you still need to bring someone in even yep. if you keep everybody? I think that's a good debate. I really think that's a good debate. And uh, and we'll get to that next week. I don't, I don't even want to get into it now because we've already gone long enough already. And uh, there was enough to talk about with wide receiver today. So uh, really eager to see what the Colts do at receiver this offseason, what chance they have to improve that unit. 
and uh, and everything else in the franchise right now so we can start making some more concrete uh, predictions for this offseason or concrete uh, steps forward as to what's going on here in Indianapolis. So we appreciate you all listening. For the, um, for the Beach Grove Hamster, for Mike Chappell, for Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. We'll see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Thank you.